Okay, I'm here with Louisa. Thank you for coming through. No, thank you for having me. Let's get right into it, because um, I've consumed a decent amount of your content in the past few days getting ready for this. What would you say is the easiest lever to pull or um, something that you noticed a lot of people just aren't doing as far as, um, let's say, like general health first, and then after that would be like people who want to perform better. So people who want to get stronger, um, faster, more athletic, whatever that is. But I think just in general health, like what are you consistently telling people that's just like, why, like this is the lowest hanging fruit? Yeah, the lowest hanging fruit. Everybody wants to be quote unquote healthy. I think we are missing the point of what the true definition is when we think about health. Does that mean that you want to live until you're 120? Does that mean you just want to live a healthy life? You want to wake up and feel amazing? We really have to understand because everybody has a different definition, right? But more often than not, what we're seeing is that people are grabbing onto this notion of health and thinking that they can just make a turnaround within 24 hours. And what I'm constantly telling people is unless at the bottom of the pyramid, let's just say we've got this health pyramid, at the bottom of the pyramid is the free gifts from mother nature and they're the three domains that i work in speak in consult in optimize in it is sleep nutrition and exercise unless you've got those three dialed in for you zach you would be on a completely different level to me we're different ages we're different heights we've got different makeups i'm a female you're a male so everything would be very very different but as long as we are optimizing in those three domains we don't really need to do too much outside of that unless we want to be performing at a peak level. And that's when you take into consideration like ultra marathoners, triathlons, etc. So <clears throat> to be a little bit of a devil's advocate, sometimes nutrition to what the average person faces is actually a pretty daunting task, it seems. Have you have you heard the like this ongoing debate from calories in versus calories out people and then also people who are more of the line of like food is poison so just don't eat don't eat poisonous food and you'll be all right don't mm -hmm. worry about calories don't worry about any of that have you heard any about like any bit of this debate yeah this reductionist or this absolutism or absolutist statements that i call them are just really ridiculous we've you right now there's a huge nutrition war on instagram and it's all centered around seed oils are bad and this one molecule is bad and it's really it really needs to stop it's an absolutist we there's this video right now going viral of this chiropractor speaking about women who fast are not healthy and that's it that's all he said and that's what I mean by absolutist statement. That means that he's not taking into consideration science. So I think to myself, what, we don't need to be talking about these, this is toxic, this is not. Mm -hmm. It basically really is, I do believe in you know calories in, calories out to an extent. Okay, if we're talking about fat loss, for, for example, I'm not a nutritionist. I, you know, I don't, really go into nutrition with my clients because I have a nutritionist on board at Neuroathletics, but I do know that that is the number one pillar that you need to dial in. Yeah. And it's just, it seems like it gets very clouded. I think also the way, if you ever watch someone scroll through TikTok or scroll through Instagram, even it's like three seconds is all you have. 
Mm-hmm. So the first thing you say is, has to be like, fasting will is not healthy. Yeah. And then you explain it or whatever. That's just how the world is. And it's not good. I'm not saying this is good. It's just that's where you get the people who are like uh, making these declarative statements, these absolute statements, when in reality, if you sat down and have a conversation with them, they're pretty well balanced probably. Yeah. It just doesn't sell. It just doesn't push the needle at all anywhere in their social media lives, which sucks. And this is where I think <clears> the problem is right now when it comes to nutrition and disease states, okay? So if we look at it at a, at a macro level, we think to ourselves, why are people, the mortality rate, okay? If we think of people dying and getting neurodegenerative diseases or cardiovascular disease, if we look at it from a processed food perspective, if you see it from a, a public health policy, those are the things, if we look at processed foods, it's the McDonald's ads. It's the um, it's the Coca Cola ads. They're these massive conglomerates. These companies are endorsing celebrities to go through and sell, you know, these processed foods, which then get targeted at kids and people who are on TikTok, who maybe don't have the education in the field of nutrition, and then they see that three seconds, or they see that. Uh, what, what, who's that rapper? That's. Uh, I think he's with Kylie Jenner. He's the one that went with he, – uh, he did a campaign with McDonald's and then McDonald's Oh, yeah. Just, uh, uh, Travis Scott. Yeah, yeah. And then McDonald's just skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring that up is because you mentioned that people are on TikTok. And that's great. But TikTok isn't a university degree. Right. It's targeted at the academic level of a 10-year-old. Yeah. That's exact. You know, that's funny. My, my friend, he – so I talked about the calories in CICO group mm-hmm. and then – Food is poison group. He's in the food is poison side, and what I also does that have. Mean what is so it's like food is poison. Well, that's just my way of saying it. I guess it's probably not. Is that don't eat poisonous food and you'll be fine, no matter what that is. And what he, is poisonous? So he has a list of a hundred foods, okay. over a hundred foods, and he goes eat these as much as you want. And he's like, he has clients. He has hundreds of clients, and they all lose weight and they all live healthier lives. And his his thing is like we the. The calories in versus calories out crowd has adapted to how f- society is rather than saying, hey, society, you should be less. F-. And then the other crowd is like, hey, society, you should be less. F-. The problem is like to try and explain o- almost where you were going, where these neurodegenerative diseases, all these diseases can occur from processed foods. Um, and to describe the nuance of that is. I don't want to say difficult because if you take some time, it takes time. But it, like, it's much faster to be like, "Hey, here's a set amount of calories you should eat." Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. And make sure you get enough protein. That's it. Like, that's easier. And if you are a nutritionist or if you are so helping helping someone lose weight, it's much easier to to give them that. And if you see results with people doing that, when someone says, "Hey, you should probably shouldn't eat drink diet coke," the person who does calories in versus calories out is like, "Man, as long as you hit your macros and." Whatever, do you know? You can have a diet coke. You can do these things, and so there's this big butting of heads, and I've noticed it um, a lot actually. And and then I guess you were kind of diving into that. Like I like how you. It's it's not whether you subscribe to calories in versus calories out or otherwise. It's kind of like yeah, calories in versus calories out works, but it's also important to know that these foods are causing us a lot of issues mm. and you you already kind of have this balanced opinion on the two but it is it's just something that i've 
I've seen and it's bothered me so much, um, right? Because you have the three pillars, right? And nutrition is just one that people just get stuck on. People get so stuck on nutrition and I don't know why. And I never really go out and talk about it because I just get the vegans coming after me. <laughs> and I don't know why. I don't want to I don't want to bash on them either. Yeah. Okay, I'm not a vegan. Uh, I have no problem with it. But for some reason they are the ones that are most prolifically advocating very loudly on social media. Um, and I don't I don't really like that. It's like each to their own. It's this is what the data says, this is what the science says, and there we should go from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, you know, calories in, calories out, yes, to an extent, it just depends on what you want. Because that means, saying that, that means that I can go and eat a donut and that's it. The Did you see day. the guy who lost weight eating McDonald's? No. There was a guy who, yeah, he just, he took like 12 weeks. Did calories in versus calories out? Just ate McDonald's the whole time. Lost like ten pounds. Great. Well, I wonder what his lipid profile. Exactly. Yeah. So that's okay. Yeah. So that's where we need to also, you know, talk about it. So when I talk about neurodegenerative diseases, that's my space. That's mm-hmm. you know, I also want to point out. You mentioned before, you know, you have to reduce what you're saying because it, it's very hard on social media, as you said in fifteen seconds. How do you think I feel, Zach? I went to school for fifteen years, and now I'm trying to say something on TikTok for fifteen, for 15 seconds. seconds, and people are like, "What is this chick saying?" It's it's hard. I, it's very hard to really understand the scope of dementia, and Alzheimer's disease. Something I speak of so much. It is a disease that is affecting fifty million people worldwide. That number is said to triple by the year twenty fifty. If we don't knuckle down and understand this, that number is just going to quadruple. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, we need to understand. It, but you can't do that in a fifteen second TikTok. So I, I want to get back to that because like I want do want to get into the neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, etc. Um, but this is where I was getting at with my friend who um, <clears throat> he's kind of on the don't eat poisonous food side. He will do um, some sort of blog post or he will do um, like a cookbook or, or ideas and things that people could practice. And then he puts it in a chat GPT and says, write this at a third grade level. So he, okay. he'll have his thing written out and he said, rewrite this in a third grade level. Yeah. And then that's how he posts it. Mm. So it's something I, I honestly... Write that down. You should probably take that. All right. Yeah. Like take. It's sad. Well, yeah, but it's the way it is. Like it. It's sad. It, and again, it's. It's really weird. We come to these places where we can either adapt to how things are and try and maneuver our way with these with this rule set. So, McDonald's exists. Coca Cola exists. Like they're not going anywhere. So let's manipulate people into doing healthier things with these given bounds, or we can try and break down those, those walls. So you can fight the good fight and not do 15 second videos and not dumb your content down to the average third grade reading, you know, mental abilities, but how successful will you be? Yeah. There, I think there are, there are spaces for both. Like, you know, thank God we have a podcast right here. We're going to be speaking for over an hour this is not a 15 second clip. So we get yeah. that opportunity, but um, yeah, it, it is, it is uh, pretty, pretty but, brutal. Yeah. But we are living in a world, ladies and gentlemen, everybody listening or watching wherever you, wherever you are, we are living in a world where we do have free education. My God. Yeah. You know? uh, I can't believe I'm at the age where I have to say, I used to look at uh, encyclopedias when I was in primary school, so did I, yeah. you know, my parents got us a full set of encyclopedias. I thought, yes, 
you know, and I would photocopy them and cut pieces out and that was my project. But now we have free education. Who are you following? Mm-hmm. So that's another thing. Are you following people that are just out there to mass produce content to sell products? So that's where it gets a bit scary. However, I do believe, you know, I started my career as a high school teacher. That's really how I started. So I really believe in the education, the, the power of education, you know, literally pedagogy, which is the art and science of teaching. Like, how can you teach somebody? How can they learn? I believe everyone has the ability to learn. And if you don't understand something, it's not your fault. It's a person telling you. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the neurodegenerative disease stuff. Mm. Um, there's a couple of things you said, like uh, some of some of these are heritable diseases, but actually the percentage of them that are heritable is very low. Yeah. Or, or the chances that you get it due to your... Um, due to your genetics, um, are very low. So what does that mean? What does that say to our practices that mm. cause us to get these disorders or diseases? Well, let's do some um, <clears throat> defining first. So dementia is the umbrella term that we use for things, these neurodegenerative diseases, such as Alzheimer's disease. We've got uh, Lewy body dementia. We've got many different types Okay, that fall under the umbrella. Alzheimer's is the most predominant one that people are suffering with. I mentioned earlier the statistics, 50 million people worldwide. Now it turns out, so there is around 30 genes involved in Alzheimer's disease. And it turns out that only around 7% of the people who are diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease have the genes responsible. So, and I, I just for all, you know, argument's sake, let's just say 90%. You know, 10% are getting it from genetics, 90% are getting it from where? So if you don't have the genes responsible for Alzheimer's disease, how are you getting Alzheimer's disease? And it turns out that it comes from many different factors. Lifestyle factors Mm -hmm. comes from environmental factors, nutritional interventions, the way you exercise, the way you sleep, many different things. Stress, especially stress. These things contribute to an aging brain and they happen in your 30s they happen in your 40s but we don't get the symptoms until we're in our 60s -hmm. so that means that we're all walking around out here doing god knows what walking ourselves right into these neurodegenerative diseases and then guess what happens it is my true belief that this disease is going to be the collapse of the healthcare system because it takes a lot of money per person per year. It's around twenty to forty thousand dollars per person with Alzheimer's disease once they get it. And then when they do get it, who can afford that? Well, I mean, in the U.S. I mean, I'm talking the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. It's a so it's a debilitating disease. Do you know which cultures have the lowest amount of neurodegenerative diseases offhand, or do you know? Could uh, you theorize? No, but here's something interesting. Okay, so one of the genes that's involved in this disease is the ApoE4 genes so if you get the allele you get one allele from mum, one from dad if you get one copy of the gene you have a a, you know don't quote me on this i think you have around a seven fold you know seven uh times more risk of developing the disease if you have two copies you've got around a 12 times more risk of developing the genes now there was a study done in africa and i forget where exactly 
where there was many people walking around with two copies of this gene, meaning that they would more than likely get Alzheimer's disease, but they never do. Because why? Because Lifestyle. they're walking more, they're getting sunlight, they're less stressed, their food system isn't corrupt like it is here. They've got access to food, nat- like whole foods, natural products. So we do know now that even if you do have two copies, it's not your destiny. Mm-hmm. Chris Hemsworth has two copies and he's doing everything he can to not get Yeah, that was the it. recent announcement, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That is very interesting. Um so I, I always think like I, I, I love to audit my life and there are some practices that I have that are probably not ideal, but I can also, because of my lifestyle, I can manipulate the rest of my day where other people can't. So if I stay up really late the night before, I can sleep in to whenever I want because I work for myself. I do what I want. Um, and I wonder if that it's kind of like giving myself this breather, this breathing space, this push and pull, um, I could probably, like, for instance, like, just scrolling through social media, TikTok, uh, Instagram, late at night. Now, it's not ideal right before you go to sleep. We've known that. How many times have you said it? How many times have Huberman said it? Everyone says, like, do not look at screens at a certain time. Um, But then if I, I feel like I can just sleep in then. I can, I can, you know, sleep a little bit longer. I can give myself this thing. The problem is for somebody who has to wake up at the same time every day, and yet they still have that dopamine, like they want that dopamine release from social media. They get home after they work out or whatever, and they scroll, 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 and next thing they know, it's 1 a.m. They got to wake up at 8. That's that's not ideal at all for that for that person. Mm-hmm. So I always think like, yeah, I'm I'm allowed to do certain things as long as I dial in other parts of my day. Other people don't have that opportunity. They're at work all day long or, you know, they're worried about bills or their kids or whatever that may be. So what what sort of practices, I mean, in general, do you think can minimize stress? I think it's like, and, and I love that term stress because it seems over like an umbrella because it can be onset from social media, which people don't understand. Like I think <laughs> scrolling can cause stress. Yeah. It's just a different t- kind of stress. Absolutely. It's not like a gritting your hands c- type of stress. That's kind like of an one. exercise. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like everyone thinks that stress is just like, I'm stressed out. Yeah. When in reality, you could be literally laying on your back stressed out yeah. like this, but you don't really know. Yeah. Acute stress isn't, um, isn't bad. We get this when we go to the gym. We need it, okay? Mm-hmm. Our body, we've got something called homeostasis, which is our internal regulation, okay? If you imagine at all times, our nervous system is like a seesaw, okay? So our nervous system is made up of the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. The central nervous system is the brain and the spinal cord. Then the peripheral nervous system is all of the nerves that come off of the spinal cord, then go into the different organs and muscles of the body, at any given time, we are always trying to maintain a balance. If you imagine a seesaw, we're either going into this sympathetic state, okay, which is a, it's a branch off the parasympathetic and autonomic um, nervous system. We've got sympathetic state and parasympathetic state. Okay? Sympathetic state is that stress response, fight or flight. Parasympathetic is that rest and digest. So if we are acutely stressed, 
from the gym. That's great. Okay, we need that. Okay, but we're just going to come back down to baseline. Mm-hmm. Now, if we are, you know, and then you can imagine if we have got, we're in very much overdrive in the parasympathetic side, that means we're asleep because we're all we're in a coma. Okay, so we're always trying to come back up. Now, immediate stress isn't bad. It's chronic stress that is the problem. So, And chronic is actually a medical term. Like it's not just like, a lot of times it's like there's a, a certain amount that we would consider chronic, right? Yeah, that absolutely. Be- and you can measure stress um, by doing, you know, different types of blood tests, you know, looking at cortisol levels, okay, mm-hmm. which is our stress hormone. Now, the chronic stress is where things start to, you know, we get chronic inflammation, for example. And this is where things start to, you know, go a bit where we don't want it to go. It can inf- it, it can have an effect on how we sleep, how we how our mind works. It can go through and deteriorate some of the little arteries and capillaries in our brain. We don't want this. And it turns out that if we're going to the gym and we're getting that stress, but then we're on social media, yeah. we're getting that stress. Then we're fighting with our spouse, we're getting that stress. Then we're staying up late because new mothers okay, are very sleep deprived. So then that adds to the stress. Mm-hmm. And just remember, your brain cannot really differentiate between different stresses. If you've been, if you're being hit by a car, or if you're going through a divorce, how you take those stresses, your brain just thinks, okay, I'm stressed. Mm-hmm. Let's just release cortisol. Let's just keep releasing. And if you just keep releasing it, keep releasing, you don't bring yourself back down to baseline, you will in turn be in that chronic state. Does supplementation add to sympathetic stress? So sympathetic uh, activation. Yes. So would like um, caffeine, nicotine, alcohol. Yeah. So uh, just certain um, exogenous things. So I can imagine if um, you take caffeine, it just doesn't allow you to operate parasympathetically. So yeah. you, so you recover, right? Well, that's the that's the idea of caffeine. It's an adenosine blocker. Yeah. So the way I like to think about these sorts of things and substances is it's not the immediate effect. So, for example, alcohol may not make you stressed. It's, you know, a depressant. It may make you low key, may make you feel good. Mm -hmm. But then what does it do? Well, if you have it close to bedtime, it blocks REM sleep. So you actually sedate yourself. You don't you don't go into sleep. You sedate yourself. That's what it is. Low key. It's a sedative. Mm -hmm. And so you'll sedate yourself. Therefore, you won't you'll wake up and you won't feel refreshed because you didn't sleep. You just knocked yourself out for the night. So then that lack of sleep aids to the stress response. It's a lot of upstream downstream with use too. Like you wake up, you feel tired, you have some coffee. Yeah. Um, You need like a little kick, you have some nicotine. I do want to talk about nicotine. Do you know much about it or have you looked into it too much? No, that's going to be the next field along with the THC. Right. I think that – I think – Caffeine is obviously just such a great drug for performance, I think. Um, and obviously I say that meaning like, and it makes it sound cool and stuff because ideally it would not negatively affect anything else. And if in there, I believe that there is a way to consume naked or consume caffeine in that way, mm. responsibly, especially for athletic performance. Um, but that's, it's tough. It's, div- it's like, uh, Think about the way that it's marketed. Think about the way that people consume it throughout the day, throughout the week. But it's not bad. No, but 
it's like it's almost the way that it's marketed is like this is not this is a lifestyle this is what you should do it's okay to have another you know um i i mentioned this on chris's podcast i'm i think i'm his most common guest <laughs> but we're also roommates so it's interesting yeah. and i went on a caffeine rant because i was like you know, why is it that we demonize nicotine if you have nicotine in its purest form, the way that you consume it, if you were to consume it in like a, a non-toxic form, um, yet we would still demonize it, have this stigma towards it. But the way that we consume caffeine in this country is crazy. Mm. I, I talked to this, uh, this woman, she's 125 pounds, right around 30 years old, five foot five, uh, and she had a venti cold brew in her hand. And it was in the morning. And I looked up how, my, how many milligrams of caffeine that is. It's 310 milligrams of caffeine. Now, for athletic performance, you can have anywhere from... I looked this up. It was like 3 milligrams per kilogram up to 9 milligrams per kilogram. And that's actually beneficial to a lot of different things in athletic performance. And mind you, this is just like a very narrow field of study. But this woman is working a marketing job. And it's, you know, first thing in the morning and maybe she didn't eat that much. And she's like, I'll probably have like another coffee later in the day. So that's 400 milligrams per day for a 125 pound woman, you know, 55 kilo woman. Mm. She's having like a medical dose of <laughs> caffeine daily. Mm. And that's how it's marketed. That's how it's pushed on people. And I, I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how other things now that we're getting exposed to can be marketed and can be pushed towards people yeah. as well. It's, it's exactly what I said. I actually put out um, a newsletter and mm -hmm. it went out at uh, our Wednesday one goes out at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. And it was about the processed, the way that processed foods are marketed. Mm -hmm. And I always think to myself, is it education? Like, for example, um, I know that in schools, this is very different to Australia. Uh, I, I don't know whether it's state schools here, but you guys provide lunch for... Yes. So it's public. We call them public schools, okay. but that's state funded. Okay. Yeah. So you... Pr yeah. And I've seen what they get, what the kids get given. It's like a fruit cup, for example, or I don't know if they get a fruit cup, but they get, they get everything that is just terrible for them. Mm -hmm. And then they go home and they're also eating terrible foods, foods. And then before they go to school, they're eating a breakfast that's probably just on the go, which is for some reason in this country, people like to have donuts and say that that's breakfast. It's wild. Well, or I even, think we're coming around to the fact that that is just a dessert. Like it's a joke. It's you can't just, even a bagel. That's just like yeah. a loaf of bread just squished into one <laughs> donut size. Yeah. And yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I don't want to interrupt. So basically Sorry. what I'm trying to say is, yes, Marketing is going to be there. There's marketing for everything. Mm -hmm. Everything is is there. It's do you have the power and the education to know whether to buy it or to consume it or not? And that's the thing is like we don't. We've shown that year in, year out. Generationally, we we don't. And so that's where like the guys like Lane Norton and my really good friend James Smith. Do you know James? He's no. he lives in he's the one who lives in Australia who I was talking about. He moved, okay. From the UK to Australia, he's never coming he's back. He's a very smart man then. Yeah. <laughs> he's literally never coming back. I, I Like every time I talk to him, he's like, mate, it's great here. Um, it's great here. Yeah. In his okay. London accent. Um, but he, both them are the most prevalent voices, to, to my knowledge, on this calories in, calories out. There's also Greg Doucette. There's a bunch of people who they're like, you know, it, 
their idea, at least to my knowledge, is like if we if we gain control and scope over what we consume in a day via calories and trying to have a higher protein diet, we can then expand into further places. We take a small step and go from there. Um, and this is kind of like gets to that marketing thing is like it's hard to fight the good fight and we've proven time and time again that we can't, that mm. we uh, don't have the wherewithal to eat the right thing. So let me give you some hacks. Calories in versus calories out. High protein diet. Those are going to give you the wherewithal for it. Um, which isn't very pure. It's not very good. It's like a defeatist mm. approach, but it it works and it has worked. They have each one of them has thousands of clients that they've worked with where they've lost weight. So they've lost weight and they've gotten healthier. So it's a very interesting thing. It's like, I, it, it, it's very frustrating. Yeah. You know? Um, Look, I equate this, I bring this up in every podcast with talking to my parents. You know, I regularly argue with them about health and they're, I take their, I've, I'm, got full control now um i do all their blood work biomarkers i've done dna tests on them i've got them all their specialist appointments i've also gotten them a personal trainer so now they're getting trained at the gym so we're doing everything we can to you know slow slow down the aging process they're in their late 60s and but they have no idea what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. okay my mother will send me a message oh should i buy this herb because i saw it it was on the TV and then she'd type it into YouTube, you know. She doesn't understand what this is. And so I can only imagine what – and it's it's daunting. It is daunting. It was daunting for me to learn this. It took me 15 years of going to Sydney, studying physiology, medicine, neurology. I had to study so much mm-hmm. to understand it. So I, I, I get it. It's hard. And then you've got someone who is not in that field and who just is like just – tell me what to do unfortunately it's not that easy however if you start with the basics like i said sleep exercise nutrition mm-hmm. just do them regularly sleep consistently regularly if that makes sense right. by sleep consistently i mean have quality sleep consistently um you mentioned earlier it's okay for you to be up until one i disagree yeah no, i'm by the way i i seem to give myself like a little leeway there. I know I I didn't quite mean it like that actually. Yeah. I know what I know that the practices aren't ideal. Um but I at least like for me, I give myself less stress. Mm. Like I don't have to report to work to a boss uh and be like and you know what I mean? Like I at least get to give and push and pull and I know where I'm you know it's it's like this feedback thing. I know like scientifically obviously staying up till one and messing with circadian rhythm is not ideal. Yeah. So, and you are, yeah, you don't get the best start in, you know, in your day, you can block uh, certain areas of your brain from releasing dopamine, which we need the following day. You mess up your circadian rhythm. Um, But yeah, it's so, you know, sleep quality is harder as we age because that's just due to the natural brain aging process. Um, For me, I've, you know, you have to also, Choose where you, you have to know yourself. Everyone gets their poison from somewhere, I say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never, I, I don't drink, I don't, um, never smoked a cigarette. I don't, I, you know, that whole, you know, if I'm emotionally stressed, okay, and 
people sometimes turn to alcohol and that doesn't make me feel good in any way but I could eat a block of chocolate like if I'm you know I, I remember when I went through my first breakup it was it, I wasn't turning to to alcohol and drugs I was turning to food and that's so it's like okay well I know I know that if I go something through something really emotional I will turn to that you have to know your triggers we're all individuals I'm a woman I know you know I go I'm menstruate every month I know sometimes I get hormone like sometimes I get extremely hungry that's just what women go through so I'm um I'm I understand that you just you've I've just you've just also you've got to know who you are what you can handle and then optimize from there I always say with these tough concepts as long as you're active in the way that you approach them you're considerate of them at least, you're better than 99% of the people out there. Or maybe not better than other people, but you're doing a good job. Like if you're considerate about all of these different things, it usually means you're trying to educate yourself from maybe there's two sides of the argument. You're, you're, you're educating yourself from here and you're educating yourself from there. Um, and it's interesting if you consider the binary of all of these things and you find yourself in the middle kind of going back and forth, that's the best you can do. That's how I feel. Mm. But that, it's the same way I, I dumb it down to in my sport of Olympic weightlifting. So there's a, a movement called the jerk. You go from the shoulders to overhead and some people struggle with the split, mm. which is a style of jerk. And then some people do what's called a power jerk where their feet just kind of you jump and you catch and your feet don't split. And I always think like, as long as you're experimenting with both and you struggle with one, you struggle with the other, but you experience, you're getting work done. You're mm. still working out. You're still training. Yeah. So it's for people who are like, man, I, I try this and I try that and it doesn't work and I don't know what to do here and here. As long as you're not just giving up, as long as you're not like, man, screw this. I get told I shouldn't eat, I should eat meat. I shouldn't eat meat. Um, I should be vegan. I should not be vegan. Like as long as you're just kind of like, Going like this, I feel like you should hang your hat on that. I, I that's just personally my my mantra. Yeah, and so let's talk about exercise because what you're referring to is just do it, really, mm -hmm. without quoting um without quoting Nike. Nike. <laughs> Wait, but, but don't you guys call it Nike? Yeah, but you've changed. I had to change. You know, I've had to change so, skeletal because I we say skeletal muscle in Australia, and I said oh, it on Instagram, and I got bashed. They're like, you don't even know how to say it properly. I'm like, oh, hey, I'm from Australia. That's how we say it. Oh, my roommate, he's adapted a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had to. Yeah. So it's he, skeletal. But he called it a, a router. He calls it a yeah. router. Okay. Right. But he's changed a lot of pronunciations just so he doesn't get the. Yeah. Thing. But yeah, go um, on, go on. Go ahead. Sorry. I talk about um, capillaries and you guys say capillaries. Mm -hmm. So I'm changing that too. But let's talk about exercise because mm -hmm. that was my biggest thing with my mother and my father. I'm like, just move. Now, exercise we know has enormous benefits to the way that we um, age. And that's what we're talking about here. How can we ward off these diseases with where it, whether it's cardiovascular disease or neurodegenerative disease we know that exercise is a key pillar in that why well we know that we get a robust release of these wonderful hormones called myokines um, when we're resistance training we're getting a release of over 600 types of myokines they get released from the skeletal muscle they go into the bloodstream they come up 
they go through the uh, blood-brain barrier and they have effects on different areas of our brain. We have one called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. This is a growth factor for the brain, meaning that it can go into the hippocampus, which is this little seahorse shaped structure deep within the temporal lobes it's the first thing to go as we age and get these um, neurodegenerative is a hippocampus hippocampus yep looks like a little seahorse this is where a lot of our memory formation and consolidation happens we have these little neurons inside there obviously uh neuron is a brain cell and they die off through exercise through exercise alone whether it's uh uh aerobic or whether it's resistance training, we can grow new neurons in the hippocampus due to training, due to these myokines. So we, we can get so much benefit from exercise. We can get something called cardiac remodeling. Okay, Our cardiovascular system is very vast, but it needs to be strong as we age. So what does that mean? Well, arteries and the chambers of our heart contain muscle what does that mean? Well, if we train it, it means that it can become more adaptable to stress. So if we train the aorta, for example, obviously when it pumps the blood, the more stronger it gets, it means it can pump more blood per beat. What does more blood mean? It means that we are getting more blood to our muscles and to our brain, which means we're getting more oxygen and nutrients with one pump. That's you know that's amazing. Less work, less more, work, more more more, more efficiency, yeah, more efficient, yeah. less economy. We need that as we're getting older because it turns out that things just don't start. You know, things just don't work as well when you're in your eighties. More efficiency, less economy is the same thing with sympathetic and parasympathetic use as well, right? Like, um, you if you don't relax, you're working more. You know, your brain is working more. You're you're just working more, and mm-hmm. that is just like. It is weird to think that we have a finite amount of work before we die. And if we yeah. use it all up when we're in our 30s, then we get these issues later on, like dementia. Jesus, that's mm. stark. But It's very scary. Yeah. It's a scary disease. Um, but my job, re- you know, I work with um, the world's best athletes, okay, predominantly in three sports, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, NBA, and tennis. And... I am just, I'm working really hard. Everybody has a team, okay? Every athlete has a team. So I will consult with their trainer, with their strength. You know, we're a team and we've got one focus and it is how can we maximize this athlete's time? So everybody has a finite hours, you know, finite time. We've got what you've got. Yes, we've got 24 hours in a day, but as we get older and you've got you know, a wife or a husband and you've got kids, you've only got so much time to be in the gym. You've only got so much time to sleep and you've only got so many, uh, so many hours to prepare food. So you want to make sure that this is back to the economy versus efficiency. You want to make sure that all of these buckets are getting maximized to their potential. So you've got to be making sure that you're going to the gym, you're doing what you have to do, then you're leaving. Because if you just overspend time there, you start to hate it and then you go less. So you need to be doing that. You need to be maximizing the nutrients that you're getting throughout the day. You need to be maximizing sleep quality and efficiency. Were you ever shocked by how, by some of these athletes' practices, whether good or bad? Yes. Let's go with good first. Okay. Like, you'd be like, wow, you get that much sleep? 
wow, you, you know, you eat like that? Yeah. So the good when it comes to sleep, you know, the good with these athletes is because they're at this level, they all, all of them will say to me, I'll do whatever it takes, which is, which is unbelievable. That to me, that means they're coachable as a, as you know, if I'm going to coach them, they need to be coachable. So that's a starting point. The second thing is they are not afraid to do the monotonous work. If I just say, hey, just bounce the ball for 20 minutes a day, they will bounce a ball for 20 minutes a day. I don't tell them to do that. But what I'm trying to say is they're not afraid to do the monotonous work. So they're really good at adherence. They just need the protocols. Um, a lot of them do sleep. A lot. Uh, I don't find real, you know, at this level, athletes who are saying, I don't want to sleep. They know that during sleep, that's when they're going to get the most of their recovery. They mm-hmm. already know that. Um, it's more so fine-tuning because I work at that elite level where just a 1% margin uh, can mean the difference between first and third. So I'm more coming in and fine-tuning those little details. So they, they're doing that really well. The things that they're not doing well is, um, you know, we were talking offline. I put a, a tweet out which went viral. And that tweet yesterday was, I don't know who needs to hear this, but marijuana is not helping you sleep. Something that a lot of my NBA players are not doing well is they're having marijuana mm-hmm. because they believe it's helping them sleep. Yeah. It's not. So that's something they're not doing well. Yeah. You know, I, uh, so, so that, that would be where you you would say is the bad is, is, uh, THC. Yeah. If, if they are, it's THC. God, it is, there's a push and pull with everything. It, and it's very weird. Um, you could also, I mean, a lot of athletes, a lot of people in general, the, the you think about another vice and it's sex. And they, the consequences from having alcohol as a vice, the consequences from having cigarettes as a vice are pretty dire and they're in your face, mm. right? The consequences from not really being able to manage your sexual relations with people is not as... Uh, it's not physiological as much as what it does to affect the world around you and even your own mental state. And that's something that I feel as though um, people might not consider as being like a bad vice. Same thing with goes with like scrolling on Instagram and, and social media. Um, there isn't really a in-your-face problem. So that might be one of a place... that If, if I was to... It, you know, suspect athletes of, of being in, in a position where they're not doing everything in the most ideal way, right? Because you think of vices like going out and drinking when you have training the next day, mm. like you're going to suck. Mm. Okay. But scrolling on Instagram too long or, you know, having like sexual relations with people th- that are like meaningless and whatever, those are less in your face, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a yeah. touchy subject, but, it, it but it's important, right? Because I don't like, know what you mean by in your face. Are you talking like, like when you have... So you're hungover. Life? You get hungover, like really bad hangover from drinking mm-hmm. alcohol. Um, but you might feel a little groggy if you didn't sleep properly the, the night before. Those things stack up, but it's mm-hmm. not like being hungover. Yeah. And um, again, if you're thinking of sex in this this dopaminergic way like it's just a dopamine release it's just something that i can get and then go away then you might have that same kind of 
uh, push and pull, same same kind of like opposing ends of the spectrum, like alcohol here, sex here, sex isn't that, right? Mm. But I think there those those are the things that that worry me the most is like um, things that you wouldn't suspect have these dire consequences. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting to me is that people are still smoking. Um, when I arrived at the studio where we're at today, there was two guys um, at the ticketing machine smoking, and it's really weird to me to see that people are still smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that's my take on cigarettes I'm talking mm-hmm. about. Um, but, yeah, look, I think y- y- you learn – it's you know, it's like how many times are you going to make the same mistake if you, wanna, if you are trying to perform at that peak? Whatever that means to you, mm-hmm. I call everybody an athlete because even if you are a mother of three, which is extremely, you know, extremely – difficult and it's it is and and these and these people need to understand that you still need to perform at your peak because imagine you know imagine having three little kids at home it's really hard so you also have to perform at your peak so i want everyone to understand that just because you're not training you're not an athlete you're not but you are in your own in your own way there is an olympic game within you i love that yeah yeah so I, I, um, Chris, I just, I just came up with that. Now. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Really, really good. <laughs> so Chris, uh, invited me to go to, uh, bring me the horizon concert. They're a big, really famous rock band. Um, they've done collaborations with Ed Sheeran and MGK. Like they, they're pretty pop culture and he's friends with the guys. Mm. Um, so we went and we were heading to Houston to meet up with them, be backstage for the concert. And, uh, um, they were like, Hey, we have a few hours to kill. Can you guys train with us? I was like, hell yeah, that's what I do for a living. Yeah. You know? So I brought my camera and I just filmed us training with them. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of interviewed them as we went and I became fascinated with performance, uh, or sorry, fitness as it pertains to performance in anything, literally anything. You could be a chess player, but your fitness matters. Mm. Um, you know this, right? Oh, well, your it, brain definitely matters. Right. And, yeah. okay, if, if fitness and um, a- exercise has benefits to the brain, like, if you are not being fit, if you are not working out, like, you're not going to be as good of a chess player. And so for these guys who tour and they they play shows every night and they're just constantly, like, there is a capacity for what they do. And... It, whenever there's capacity, there's recoverability that that needs to be worked on. Yeah. And so, so like I am fascinated by the fitness it takes to be a rock star. Mm. I'm fascinated by the fitness it takes to be a mother. Mm. You know. So. Oh yeah. So that's something that I'm actually I've been in contact with bands now. I send them that video. So I made this this YouTube video of us training with them, and it did really really well. It's got like I think like over a quarter million views, mm. and I've sent it to other. Um, PR departments for bands and I'm like hey let me come uh, interview your guys and ask them about their practices being able to go and do show by show by show by show because even if you think about screaming and singing like that's a muscle that you have to use so it doesn't even have to be for me like I don't it doesn't have to be like oh well you know I wake up at seven in the morning and I get in the gym and I train because it makes me feel good no like what specifically do you do to train the muscles in your throat Mm. you know to what do you eat what do you Mm. drink how do you sleep so that it can recover things like that just fascinate me so I love that you just brought brought that up yeah and I did that because I also work on um I work on Wall Street, meaning that I work with portfolio managers and investors. And I'm talking guys who are 
um, you know, they've got a portfolio, they're managing like $3 billion in assets, their personal take home is like $30, $40 million a year. And working with these guys, because one, one decision, one wrong decision is uh, they could lose maybe, I would say half a billion dollars in just one decision. So I train them the exact same way I would train my most elite athlete. And let me tell you, it matters because if you think about if they need to go into work every day, I equate their Olympic game to them going in on the day that, that they need to make a trade. And this trade is responsible. They've got, um, you know, they're taking, off, taking care of 50 people's families. You know, people rely on them to make money for their families. So if he makes one wrong decision on that day because he didn't sleep well, we know that sleep extremely impacts the way that we make decisions via the prefrontal cortex. If he doesn't exercise, he's probably going to feel lethargic. He's going to hate himself because he, maybe he's getting a little fat. He doesn't feel good. So it's just going to, his confidence is going to be down. Therefore, that affects decision making. If he doesn't eat the right food, it's going to affect his judgment and the way he makes a decision. So these three pillars, once again, doesn't just matter if you're LeBron. If you are a mother of three, I keep saying that because I just got back from Australia. My brother has three kids. I all, he, he loves when I come home because I look after them. And it's like a marathon for me. Mm -hmm. and, they, and not to mention one of them, the middle one is at the age where she's just talking a lot about anything mm -hmm. and watch me and do this and do this and did you know this? And I saw this on TikTok. It's just, it's a lot. So I think, oh my God, you've got to be really fit to do this mm -hmm. and then not to mention the school drop-offs and everything but so everyone has their own olympic game within them how are you training for it and and that's going to mean the difference between you being happy and you being unhappy so we have exercise nutrition sleep mm. anything else we're missing yeah neuroathletics so my company which was um created back in 2014, which was literally, um, I wanted to live at the intersection of high performance and neurology. So I married the two and neuroathletics, and that was the birth of the company. But now we've got a complete uh, discipline within the athletic space. So when we think of exercise and we think of, okay, you're working from the neck down, that's your physiology, you're working on your body, but are you working from the neck up? And neuroathletics training, which is the combination of hand-eye coordination, reaction time, memory, take learning, all these types of things. If we can train those, which you can, with just little things, and you and I are going to do a, a YouTube clip mm -hmm. on it to show all your community. If you can train those, you're going to have a really, really nice setup for having a high-performing brain. So you can be training things like your brain. You can be training reaction time. You can train hand-eye coordination. You can train memory. You can train information processing speed you can train all these little things little areas in your brain so your brain can become thicker the cortex of the brain the, the gray matter yeah, of everyone the brain. wants a thicker brain yeah because a thicker brain <laughs> means could, that, could mean thicker biceps like could it mean i'm <laughs> no. if i'm a, if i have a better acting brain though no, i yeah. can get more jacked okay if yes. that was my thing yeah if right? you did because you know what it would allow you to push harder and further at the gym with each rep. 
there you go. The value is right there. The value there, there. Um, do you know who Dr. Jordan Shallow is? Yeah. Okay. Have you spoken with him at all? He's coming on my podcast okay, on Monday. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say you I guys. I can't believe you said that. That's yeah. So, so he's yeah, one he's of my nice. good friends. I just had him on my show. Okay. Um, and you two, please be sure to talk about um, stability versus, oh, I think it was like stability style of exercises versus just like, so the way that he described it was um, the way that you can work neurologically on something rather than doing like a bicep curl or um, like pressing. He said it was much more valuable to maybe hold a kettlebell and walk and provide that stability because it it's more reactionary. So what you're doing, your brain is reacting to the stimulus mm. and stabilizing it rather than the other way around coming from a stable position and you just moving it. Yeah. And he was like adamant about this. He was adamant about this. And it, what the coolest thing is, is like, okay, well that's his thing now. So with athletes, it's like, we're always going to work on this reactionary path. And, and, and it's almost exactly what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, you two would definitely be, cause he works at uh, HOA in Miami house of athletes. Okay. And it's owned by a famous football player. I've seen um, it. Yeah. Yeah. And so he trains really high level athletes. Yeah. And he just continually when we were so I did a podcast with him mm -hmm. and then I did a gym session with him mm -hmm. and he was just always saying now our gym session was more about bro session bodybuilding stuff. But he was always saying like working from this place where your mind your brain has to work in order for you to work out. That's what, you know, I started public speaking around, you know, I've had my podcast since um, 2016, but I started public speaking probably around a year and a half ago. Now, I'm, um, I'm a, an advisor to Tonal and they had an inaugural big event this time last year. And I went there and I spoke and that's actually what I said. I said, instead of going to the gym for your body, we should start to go to the gym from our, for our brain. And I went on in that talk to then talk about, which it went viral on YouTube. I went and talked about the fact that your brain is actually responsible for everything that you do from the kick that you do, the, the kick, the, the, I was talking about a, a soccer player, but like the way somebody kicks a ball, the way you catch a ball, the way you perform any movement isn't because your bicep is just getting shorter and contracting. It's because you have areas in your brain in the the primary motor cortex, which sends a neuron, which sends a message to a different area of the brain, which sends a message to the upper motor neurons to perform an action. We've got this top-down processing mm -hmm. that happens with the brain. If it's the sensory system, if you feel like the ball, you know, your sensory, if you're going to catch something, there's an, you've got the bottoms-up mechanism, okay, which you catch it in your brain, you, you send signals from your arm all the way up to your brain, which signals, I just caught a ball. Okay, so we're constantly transferring these messages and we, you know, athletic trainers, tra you know, personal trainers, whatever, coaches don't understand that, which is actually, you know, we've got a, a program now, the New Athletics Coaching Certificate, which teaches trainers about the brain. Literally, it's like teaching first year medical students neuroanatomy. So you want to know the thing that provides the highest amount of power output and most weight moved with probably the highest amount of uh, proprioception, you know, proprioceptive ability you need to complete it, that is Olympic weightlifting. And that's my sport. That's what I... Is, why is that? 
the weight that we so it would it the reason it's so demanding on your brain uh and it's so technical and yet it uses the absolute highest amount of weight possible mm. so it it may not be as technical as shooting a, a basketball but a basketball i don't know how much a basketball weighs so you have to we're combining the technicality and and power and uh force production at the absolute pinnacle mm. and that's why i love it so much and what I love a lot is like I taught Aaron how to do some weightlifting stuff. And after it, he's like, man, that was amazing because he's, he's like a seeker. You'll, you'll, once you meet him, you'll see he's a seeker of everything. Like he just wants to go and, and do all these different things. And when he got, when I was able to teach him some Olympic weightlifting, he was like, what this does while I'm lifting, it's such a relief because my brain is firing so hard. Mm. I'm not really worried about pushing hard. It's just, it has to happen because I'm just so focused on the technicality of everything. Mm. So that's, that's why I'm incredibly interested in, in what you're talking about. Mm. And I hope you're interested in Olympic weightlifting and I can maybe show you some stuff on how, how like crazy technical it is. So oh God. if you can imagine, like, so the greatest uh, snatch of all time is by Lasha Talhadze. He's a Georgian and he snatched 225 kilos. And the snatch oh is God. from the floor to overhead in one movement, one fluid movement. So the idea is there's this contact that happens at the hips. The bar becomes free and the, the lifter has to drop under this bar. So the bar comes up and, you know, he's not just pulling the bar up, right? If he, if he did that, he would not be able to lift that much weight. I mean, for him, for the average human, it's a lot of weight. But for him, it's not that much because... He has to, the, the amount of power output to get the bar from here to here is quite large. But the amount of power output to get the bar from here to here and then drop underneath it is less so we can do more weight. And so you make mm. contact, the bar is freed. Literally, it's, it is no longer, you're no longer imposing any more force production. So there's a force production, there's a rate of force production curve once it hits the hips and once you extend, it actually will go down. You still have force in your hands. Yeah. You drop underneath and you catch and you have to stabilize in your shoulders and then you stand up from there. So what makes him, is it the weight that qualifies you him to say that he it was the best? Yes. Okay. So it's the weight? Yes. Okay. 225 kilos. But he's incredibly technically, like he is... And a, it's a gorgeous lift. Okay, we're going to have to see that. Is that what Lane Norton is doing? No, so that's powerlifting. Okay, so... Different. Two, yeah, okay. Two different sports. So powerlifting is bench... Uh, sorry, squat, bench, and deadlift. And powerlifting was actually originally an offshoot of uh, Olympic weightlifting and then um, bodybuilding. So a lot of powerlifting were known as like odd, odd lifts that were... Uh, accessories to the movements that were performed in the Olympics. Um, and there were a ton of movements that were performed in the Olympics at one time. There's a single arm snatch. Now there's only two, but there's a bunch of different things. And some guys were just like, I like these accessory movements. I can get really strong at these. And they created that sport out of it. Also, at the same time, bodybuilding, we use the squat, we use the bench, mm -hmm. you use the deadlift. Mm -hmm. And now you can get really good at those. So, 
we in the 70s or maybe late 60s, we went from being very good at weightlifting in America to not good at all because every, the shift was around, you know, the golden era of we had Arnold mm. and strongman and um, powerlifting. It all shifted over here and weightlifting was over here. Mm. Um, that's kind of like a long overview of the history of weightlifting, but it is a fantastic sport to watch. I, I, you should on Instagram, you should just follow a few accounts mm -hmm. and you'll get to see these men and women do these, these things that you, you just like, you cannot believe is possible, uh, in slow motion with high definition cameras. It's beautiful looking. Okay. It is like, you know, if you ever see someone throw a javelin or throw a baseball, it's like, what the hell is happening? Like, or yeah. you you work with tennis players? Mm. My God, watching them hit oh, a serve, look, let me tell you, a slow motion yeah. serve, like what they do with their body, it's ridiculous. You know the amount of force and oh, it's the, just crazy. The reason you know, I'm I'm excited that you brought up weightlifting being you know as beautiful as it, and you said it, it's you get. I can imagine you'd get a lot of CNS fatigue mm -hmm. from it. This is the exact same reason why I work with ball sports. As you you know, I work with NBA, baseball, mm -hmm. and tennis. You know, baseball, out of every sport, baseball is the number one sport that requires the highest amount of visual acuity. Oh, I don't doubt it at all. Yeah. That's, so that's all it is. That's why I work with them. Yeah. That's why, and that's why I work with tennis players. Um, basketball players, you don't really need it. The, the ball, you know, the perimeter is much bigger, so you, you need more of other skills. But when you look at the the highest recording visual acuity, you know, we think of, we hear of 2020 vision, you know, then we hear of, but that's all, all we hear. But these players have 20 over 10. Mm -hmm. They have got incredible, and we, that's part of it. You know, we, we look at that, we do visual um, acuity testing. We look at that and when you can understand how fast this ball is going and if if if, if a player can see if he can detect that the ball is coming towards him de depending on the trajectory of the angle okay he can move his body to get there faster mm -hmm. even if that is 0.3 seconds faster that's the margin i'm talking about so i think to myself it's the same thing it's really beautiful to watch it's like his how how can we fasten the stimulus the the point at which he recognizes the stimulus for that stimulus to go through the retina through the optic nerve down into the brain to the back to the occipital cortex which is where you process the information to then register back to the prefrontal cortex where it says okay that's a ball pick my hand up that's what i'm doing i'm saying okay i want he's at he's at 0.5 i want him at 0.3 mm -hmm. because if he's at if he gets 0.2 seconds faster that means he gets there boom and throws it to the next player and that is what gets you to the championships so um you had mentioned sleep and your reaction time is just horrifyingly bad if you have bad sleep just yeah so i didn't really notice this at all until probably this year i'm 32 and i've kind of like my whole life i've just been an like an athlete like playing sports and i don't think about anything else like I don't, I never really thought about nutrition recovery because I just try really hard and work really hard and just being young, I kind of got away with it. Obviously I could have been better in so many different places, but I notice like I'll have a bad night's sleep and I'll wake up and I'll have to rush to the gym or I'll have to do these things and I'll get in my car 
And right when I get in my car, it's like the first time I have to think and react. The oh, rest yeah. of the rest of the the morning routine for me, like I kind of just get through it, grab, pack my bag, and I get in the car. And what I have to do in my car sometimes I have to plug in my phone, and I'll have to call someone, or I'll have to put uh, like a map, like a map thing in there, and I'll be like trying to drive at the same time, and I'll look up, and I'll, I'm like, oh my god, I can't even, like, I need to just put this away and just drive as hard yeah. as I can because my brain right now is pathetic yeah and i've never had Sluggish. that happen before until like this year yeah well let me tell you something that's going to blow your mind at the age of 30 our brain begins to atrophy obviously you know what the word atrophy mm -hmm. is uh, decrease in cell size we start to lose neurons and it's, they start to deteriorate at the age of 30 isn't that scary yeah so it's no wonder that you know you're 32 now, so you're probably just experiencing, oh, my God, if I don't have a good night's sleep. Like, do you remember being, you know, I was I was a triathlete. I remember um, I went out one night. I was 22, and I had a race the next day, and I knew it was a, it was a 12 p.m. race. So I thought, it's okay. I'm going to go out, you know, and I'm going to have a few drinks. I think I had, like, four drinks. And the next day, I, I, I came first. I was a podium – it was a podium finish, and my I was like – you know, my coach was like, what did you do the night before? I'm like, oh, I don't want to tell you. If I did that now, in my I, you know, in my thirties, I would probably die. So yeah. yeah, we as you get older, things start to, you know, don't work as well. Now, road accidents, the number one cause of road accidents is reaction time yeah. due to sleep deprivation. So sleep deprivation, even what you're describing, is that you didn't have the best sleep. You're kind of cloudy and gluggy the next day, and that's generally it, it's weird because it took until i get in my car to be yeah. like holy because that's shit. when you know you have to wake up yes yeah and i'm like come on yeah let's go like yeah. and it just doesn't happen it's so weird i can like picture it right now in my brain like yeah. i can, i know the road that i go down where i'm like what the fuck, zach you are yeah. not this dumb yeah do you ever drive places and you think and your mind was elsewhere and you think how did i get here yeah. Yes. Sometimes that happens to me and that scares me. Yeah. So thank God I don't drive. But, so I, I think about now baseball Yeah. where everything is reaction. Like, have you ever seen a GoPro footage of the catcher? Yeah. So you see the ball coming and you're like, what? Come on. Yeah. No one's going to hit that. And they f***ing hit it. Uh, listen, it's, I've seen. It is these, the most insane sport. I've seen the Dodgers, um, wink, wink, uh, training. And I've seen like, you know, you just do this. And yeah. you just watch the. You the, can hear the, the ball too. You can hear. You can. You, you've got the speed, and they're just like with all the analysis. You know, uh, just like, just we're all. It's like okay, go. It's just un. And you think, oh my god, it's scary, but that's that's what we're talking about. And if you look at baseball players, do they look? They don't really look. Some of them, I think, how can you run? Well, because you can't see their brain. They have freak of nature brain. Yeah. They do. You have to. I mean, that's, you were, you were saying. But they're big the as well. Yeah. So, yeah, the um, every sport has this act that is so viscerally, it's so incredibly violent and enticing and kind of go, like gives you, when you see it in person and you, you don't do that oh, sport. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I worked with uh, tennis at Texas A&M and just seeing them serve. That's oh all it God. was. I was at the receiving end of a serve and I'm like, what the f was that? Um, baseball, just seeing a pitch come in, hearing pads hit at the line in the NFL, 
there's these movements that are just so, I, I don't know what they, as a spectator, what they do to you is just so Im- incredible. And to think of, you know, these people train, so the way they see it, these things, it's not as intense, but it still is intense. They just can't tell, mm-hmm. you know? Mm. They've done it so many times, like they they don't realize what they're doing is so insane. So maybe they might take their recovery for granted. They might take their sleep nutrition for granted. And I think it's really it's really cool what you're doing to be like, hey, like you guys got to understand what you're doing is f-ing insane and mm. you need everything. Everything. Yeah. Because your brain chews up a lot of energy, okay? It chews up, you know... 20 to 30% of the calories that you take is consumed by the brain. So it takes up a lot of energy. But the way I describe it is if you work on your brain, okay, you've got more fuel to last you a longer period of time. Just like you are, you've got more muscle fibers. You are, than me in my arm, probably everywhere in your body. But that means you can lift heavier because there's more there. Okay, it's the same for your brain. If you train it and you get it working well and it's functioning well, it can survive longer and it can survive stronger. So that's the angle I'm coming at. So if these athletes and it takes it's a lot of mental energy to go through a game. Have you ever sat you know, some games like these baseball games? Are going I think through. tennis is the most insane. I think tennis is probably the craziest endurance sport I've ever see did you see the um australian open um i i i saw that uh djokovic won it yeah so djokovic um you know i was really I love proud. the australian open by the way i think it's a it's great... the best time of year in australia but um Tsitsipas, which is um i'm greek so he was representing greece and i i just loved seeing that uh that was a really beautiful sport to watch but last year okay the final of the 2022 australian open was between medvedev mm-hmm the and Russian, yep. The, yeah, he's you know he's he doesn't. Amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. Um, he's got a bit of anger problems. Uh, and Nadal, oh my! It went for over four hours. If you saw Nadal, and he's in his is he in his late thirties? Yes. I, I just, it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It was I think is one of the best matches of all time. And just to see them was just so beautiful to watch. But you think, oh my god. Their bodies, you know, what they're going through. But I'm thinking their brain is in overdrive. And I equate it to, imagine you're sitting down and you're doing a test, okay? And it's a hard math test. And it's it's going to mean that if you don't pass this test, then your family doesn't eat for the next month. Imagine how, you know, t- you know that would be really nerve-wracking, Imagine going through that, that test for four and a half hours with the entire world watching you. It's really enduring. So the fact that tennis players can go through that is phenomenal. I love the, everything in a tennis match is the antithesis of homeostasis of the human mind. Like it is the opposite of what, like these athletes have to train out like just like human physiology of their brains and do that's just like this test that's just so insane i i and i say this i'm like what's the toughest sport i always say tennis because it's a four hour long sport with a direct opponent that you're going at 
right? I also think I think fighting, so like UFC, uh, MMA fighting is probably like it's you you have an opponent that can impose their will directly on you. It's one on one. But this one goes for four hours. Sometimes it goes up to seven hours. Sometimes it's like an entire Depends day. Depends on how good you are. Yeah. And, and that is, and you're not allowed to look at a coach. You can't even look at your coach or else you get penalized. Yeah. Your coach can't say anything. It's just you alone against one other person. The mental and, part of that, I just cannot grasp. And you see people, that's where I come in. Yeah. You see, in a, in a, one of my, who I, someone I really want to work with. Um, so I'm putting it out there to the world. I lost my chance with Serena, you know, because she, you know, during her time, I just wasn't there. Um, and so I lost my chance. She was my golden egg, um, but she's retired now. Uh, I want to work with Naomi Osaka because she's young. She's emotional. Doesn't really, you know, she's got great athletic athletic prowess, uh, great ability. But I'm seeing that, okay, other things are, you know, she's looking out at the crowd and taking that into consideration or she's just saying you know i just don't feel like i want to just go on the court today like you know she's doing things that are just not in line with what a professional athlete should be doing so i'd love to take her on board um but these athletes sometimes they succumb to the pressures of the crowd and we see that we see when they slam their rackets to the ground which is an immediate violation that's anger we see them yelling at the ref um so yeah yeah umpire yeah. So yeah, this is um this is neuroathletics. Yeah. So what do you um what's next for you? Uh seminars, I believe is what you said you were like to do. So yeah, that. we've um we're launching our inaugural so we we have a neuroathletics coaching certificate that we've uh been training people, uh athletic coaches, people who are training athletes. You know, if you're an Equinox trainer, don't come and do this course. No, no, that that was mean, but you know. But um, if you're training athletic training, uh, if you're an athletic trainer or you're a coach, you would come and do this course. It's mm-hmm. a two day uh, intensive course. We've got over, we've done over a hundred people now. But we say inaugural because now we're launching it to the public. So we've worked on the curriculum for over three years. Um, it's got over fifteen hundred different citations within it. It's absolutely incredible. You learn about the brain. You learn about how the intersection of neuroscience and performance, we go into sleep, nutrition, and exercise as it relates to brain health. Then we do things such as performance metrics. Uh, We're doing um, isotope testing. We're looking at VO2 max. We're doing blood biomarkers. We're doing things like how can you deconstruct um, whoop data so you can train your athlete better from the whoop data. So it's a it's an exciting thing. We might do one here in Texas. All right, cool. I think you should get with universities uh, for their athletics programs. I think the strength and conditioning coaches would they gladly hit yeah. you up for yeah. sure. All right, thank you so much for coming on. Let's get in the gym. I'm excited to go to the gym. Me too. Yeah. Let's All right. do it.